All right, we will turn to Ephesians chapter number 5. I know we abbreviated our prayer time just a little bit this evening due to our Kids for Truth presentation, but we'll spend the next 20 minutes or so looking at another godly motivation as we have been looking the last several weeks. Of course, we had the business meeting last Wednesday, but on Wednesday nights we've been taking time to look at a series referring to godly or biblical motivations. What motivates us? We have motivations for lots of different things that we enjoy or that we like to do, motivations for everything from sports to various hobbies and work, and yet what are some motivations that should be a part of our spiritual lives that should motivate us in serving the Lord? We've talked about the glory of God, we've talked about our acceptance in Christ, the call of Christ, and we looked at evangelism, and then tonight we will look at the church, a motive in serving the Lord in our obedience, in our faithfulness, is the church. We see, first of all, from Ephesians 5 and verses 25 through 27, we see that the church motivated Jesus. The church motivated Jesus. Clearly, Christ died for the church. He loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5 verse 25. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ, as Christ loved the church. As he loves the church, so husbands should love their wives and gave himself for it. There we see the servant aspect, the laying down of our life, the sacrifice. Of course, Jesus Christ being the greatest example of being a servant and of sacrifice, having paid the penalty for our sins. So we too, as husbands, should love our wives the same. But we see that Christ died to purchase the church. And then he gave his life out of love for the church. We see, of course, that in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So he desires not only for our, of course, our salvation and our positional holiness, but he also desires as we live out the Christian life for our personal progressive holiness. But then we go to Acts 20 and verse 28, and we see again this aspect of love in that Christ gave his life out of love for the church. Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. He purchased the church with his own blood. He gave his life out of love for the church. We see that in both of these passages. And then again, back to Ephesians 5, in verses 25 through 27 that we just read, we see that the church is his bride. The church is his bride. And of course, we often refer to the bonds of marriage, the, the marriage relationship, as is illustrated in Ephesians 5, and the intimacy and the closeness and uh, the bond uh, that a married couple has. Obviously, that is to be first and foremost in Christ, that 
relationship, as I've often said, as I do premarital counseling, I will sometimes draw a triangle for the couple, and I will talk about how the husband and the wife are at two points of the triangle, but they're always, as they grow in their relationship with God, they're growing closer to each other. And we know the illustration well. I don't have to elaborate too much on this point. But we also see that Christ owns the church. Christ owns the church. And again, we go back to Acts 20 in verse 28, where Paul uses, excuse me, Luke uses, in a context where Paul is speaking to the elders. And we read there again in Acts 20 and verse 28, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. One of the words that was used tonight that our Kids for Truth is learning and has learned is ransom. That ransom was not paid to Satan. That ransom was paid to God. He redeemed us. He bought us back out of the slave market of sin. He purchased with his own blood. He willingly shed his blood. He, he died a violent, bloody, murderous death for us. This is, the, again, this is the very Son of God. This is God in the flesh. As the songwriter uh, writes in that great hymn, His Robes for Mine, the thought that God could be estranged from God, that he took upon him the sin of the world, who became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may, might be made the righteousness of God in him. That speaks even to ownership, that we belong to him, and we are not our own. We are bought with a price, and we're to therefore glorify God with our body and with our spirit, with our soul, with our life. So we see also, letter E, that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Ephesians 2, in verse number 20. Ephesians 2, in verse number 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone would be a key foundational stone, and I realize that we have more advances in architecture, but the architecture of Bible times, that cornerstone was a foundational stone that literally could affect the entire structure of that building. I know that we have buildings that we will build and there might be a, a stone or a plaque, maybe a stone where it's etched in, this was the first stone or this stone is laid in honor of or in memorial of, recognition of, and that might be the more modern way in which we would speak to a cornerstone. We may have different advances in technology where we don't have quite that kind of uh, foundational cornerstone, but again, literally, that cornerstone, they would have been very, it would have been very common, would have been understood in that day to be a stone that, if it was removed, could cause the entire structure to become unstable and possibly collapse. Well, Christ is the cornerstone of the church. We must build the church upon Jesus Christ, not upon man's methods, not upon man's methodologies and strategies, but we need to build the church God's way, according to the way he told us to in his word. And we build, of course, upon the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse number 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the apostles and the prophets, they then laid 
the foundation that was built upon the chief cornerstone, and we are benefit we are benefit uh, beneficiaries, and we continue to uh, build upon what foundation they laid, and of course Christ being the chief cornerstone. And then letter F, Christ empowers the church. Matthew 16 and verse 18. Now, I realize that there's a idea of protection here as well. But Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. We know that the word Peter there is pebble. He is referring to Peter by name, but his name means pebble, a little stone. And upon this rock, this bedrock, this bedrock truth. What was the bedrock truth? He wasn't saying, oh, Peter is the Pope. And all of church is now resting upon Peter as the Pope. The Pope being the vicar of Christ, as the Catholic Church so wrongly states and tries to teach in Clearly, the Pope today, we don't recognize him, of course, as the Vicar of Christ. We know that Catholic teaching is not orthodox. They teach a work salvation. But if the Pope were to be a representative of Christ in that way, how could Pope Francis possibly be saying the things that he's saying? If he is so representative of the Godhead of Christ himself, then how could he possibly be saying such blasphemous things and compromising things? But of course we know their theology is wrong in the first place. But again, Matthew 16 and verse 18, upon that bedrock truth that Jesus Christ is, as he said in verse 16, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus Christ is God, the Messiah, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon that bedrock truth, that truth of who Christ is, I will build my church. Who builds the church? Christ does. So who do we think that we should be depending upon and looking to and patterning our church after? It should be Christ. The written word, the revealed Word of God, Christ, of course, being the living word, we need to build the church God's way, which means upon Christ. I will build my church, Christ says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Literally, the church breaks the gates of hell open, breaks them down, breaks them open. The gates of hell is actually, it's an offensive t- statement that the church overcomes and is empowered by God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and to bring the gospel so that people are saved by grace through Christ. And the church then advances the kingdom of God here on earth and of course in waiting in anticipation of the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. But that should give us motivation that we are a part of, yes, a local assembly, but that we as church people, as saved individuals, as a part of the church and a local assembly of believers, that we should go forth with the gospel, that we should go forth with the truth. And the gates of hell cannot prevail. They can't stand up against the church of God. 
Christ empowers the church. So we see also, as we work our way through this outline, we see not only that Christ, or excuse me, that the church motivated Jesus, but we also see the priority of the local church. The priority of the local church. That takes us to Acts chapter number 2 for just a moment here. Acts chapter number 2 in verses 42 through 47. We know that Peter preached a great sermon there at the day of Pentecost. This is where, in a sense, we see the church birthed, where there were 3,000 who were saved in verse 41. And we look at Acts 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the truth, the revealed truth, God's truth, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by, by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Again, this is not Christian socialism. This is the sacrificial, the willing sacrificial giving of God's people to those in need. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Verse 46 of Acts 2. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We see the priority of the local church. God was adding to his church daily. We see the great revival, the great Harvest of souls in verse 41, and then daily we see people coming to Christ, becoming a part of the church, and then they would organize into local assemblies. So by Hebrews chapter number 10, there's an assembly of believers. We know that from the teachings of the book of Hebrews that there were some who were claiming to be part of the church there that the writer of Hebrews is writing to by the inspiration of God. And he's speaking, obviously, to a group of believers. There are some unsaved who have attached themselves to the church in some way that he will address from time to time. But we know this passage well. Hebrews 10 and verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Provoke has the idea of to agitate, to stir up. So as a church, as we come together, we are to be encouraging agitating, provoking, stirring up good works in one another. Good works, of course, being God-honoring, God-glorifying works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Now we see it again in a similar type of statement, similar to verse 24, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I've read that it is somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 35% of the American population attends church in any kind of regular fashion. And I can't remember what the definition of regular attendance was. I don't know if it was one service a week or, every, one, ser or, or, or one service a month or two services a month. I can't remember. But 30 to 35%. And that, that wasn't even distinguishing whether that was a gospel-preaching, Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church. 
that wasn't even that that survey that I was reading after didn't even differentiate a non-gospel preaching church from a gospel preaching church, an unorthodox church from an orthodox church. Just people who enter a house of worship, and I don't know the exact number of times per week or per month, 30 to 35% of the American population. What does that say? Where are people getting the word? I know there's technology, but it's, it's just not the same. You can get good podcasts, and you can get good YouTube channels, you can get good messages, I realize, online and on TV. And, but where does God say that we should be? We should be together. God didn't say, oh, I didn't think about the internet. Oh, I didn't realize the internet was coming. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that we could get with God in, in, in nature. Have you seen those bumper stickers? My church is the, the, the forest or something like that. That's, no, he, he, God knew that there would be the internet one day. I think of my friend Josiah in that little village there in Kenya. They didn't have any technology. They had a bunch of plastic chairs, and I have a picture of him that came through my email today of him standing there preaching the word in a group of believers in a town, in a village that has been known for its Satanism and its spiritism and various kinds of tribal worship that God saved Josiah out of, and he pastors a church in Nairobi, and he's been burdened for that area all his life, and God has allowed one of their graduates to go there and has started this little church. They didn't have fog and and spotlights either. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to go there. But they they didn't have a piano. They stood and they sang and they heard the word of God preached. And the gates of hell will not prevail against that little church as the truth is proclaimed there. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to be together. And then we can go to Revelation 3 and 4. We've been going through on Monday nights in our Bible study on campus. We've been going through the seven churches of Revelation. And I I wish we had time to even go there. But in in Revelation, I, I said Revelation 3 and 4. It's Revelation 2 and 3. I apologize. That's at least two mistakes I've made today. At least two. So, he says, I know thy works and thy labor. He talks about the seven stars and walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. All of that speaks to God's care for the church. If God cares that much for the church that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and how many different churches do we have books of the Bible named after, We could go to Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth and Thessalonica. And then there's the churches that aren't even named as books of the Bible. And we can go through some of those in Revelation and even Berea. And we have our church uh, named after. Dozens of local assemblies. And all over the New Testament is the church. And we see in Revelation 2 and 3, Christ walking among the seven golden candlesticks. Walking among his churches, holding the messengers in his hands. God cares about the church. What's wrong with us as believers if we claim the name of Christ and don't go to church and aren't faithful, regularly attending and assembling together? We could go on and on. I just referred to that. Someone sent this to me and I had seen it before and then I found it again in another source, but... 13 reasons I don't attend sporting events anymore. 
Every time I went, they asked me for money. The people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard. The coach never came to visit me. The referees made a decision I didn't agree with. And I'm sitting with a bunch of hypocrites. They only came to see what other people were wearing or what other, what other reasons that people might come. Some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. The sound system played some songs I had never heard before or didn't like. The games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know enough about the game already. I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. I can play or watch sports anywhere. I don't need to go to a stadium. We can see the obvious connections with what people say about the church and why they don't go. What if we treated sporting events the way people treat the church? I thought that was funny. I thought I'd share that. And then finally tonight, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. This is 1 Timothy 3 in verse number 15. I know we're running short on time tonight, but 1 Timothy 3 in verse number 15. This epistle, of course, is written to a preacher, and all throughout the book of 1 Timothy, really in 2 Timothy and Titus, there are instructions about the church. 1 Timothy 3 in verse 15 but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That word pillar is the support beam, like what we think of as a pillar, a support beam. But then the word ground has to do with a buttress, has to do with a foundational bed of rock or stone that the whole structure has to be built upon so it doesn't collapse in sinking sand, in shifting sand. The church is the pillar and the ground, the pillar and the buttress, the pillar and the foundational stone of what? The truth. What does that say about us as believers and the function of the church and the responsibility I have as a pastor in preaching and teaching the Word of God in all of our teaching and preaching ministries and in our music and in every aspect of the church. What should the church be upholding and supporting and building upon? The truth. So when we get away from the truth, the whole truth, not just the cherry-picking truth that we like and then leaving out the others that we don't like. The whole truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, we know the verse 20 has the gifts of the apostles and prophets, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the chief cornerstone, which we read earlier, verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple in the Lord, the church is referred to. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. I think it's clear that we should commit to the church, prioritize the church, invest in the church, and engage in the church in serving and loving our fellow brethren. We've been going through the book of James. We saw there at the end of chapter 5 the one another principles. Again, so, so many there. Uh, may this be true of us and help us in our motivations for living the Christian life and being faithful, that we might be faithful to the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we could come and pray for one another, share our requests. Thank you, Lord, for our missionaries, the Shrocks and uh, the Hartman Shalom Ministries and all of our missionaries that we're supporting and now the House family. I uh, pray that you will continue to use them in their places around the world as they continue to minister with the truth of the gospel. May, Lord, we be faithful here. Thank you, Lord, for uh, these truths. Thank you for the church. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, that bought the church with your own blood. And we give you the glory and the praise for that. May, Lord, we live out, live our lives in light of that truth and be motivated to be faithful to your place, to your local assembly, to the church, the pillar and ground of the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.